0: We're in chapter 9 of the book of Shmuel, and we did the first 17 verses, and we see the verses are building up to that moment when Saul is going to meet Shmuel and Avi. And we saw that Saul sets out innocently, looking for his donkeys who have strayed. A couple days have passed, and Saul and his servant, they decide that the best thing for them to do is, let's ask the man of God where the donkeys are. He'll tell us where we should go, but God has other plans. He has orchestrated these events, leading Saul to Shmuel. So Shmuel can anoint him as the first king of Israel. And Shmuel is actually waiting for Saul because the day before all this, Hashem had revealed to Shmuel that a man from Benjamin is going to come his way. And that's the man who will rule my people, Hashem says. So let's pick up where we left off. Shmuel sees Shaul. The Lord says, that's the man who I told you about. He's the one who's going to be the ruler of my people. And now it says in verse 18, And Saul approached Shmuel inside the gate, And he said, Tell me now, Where is the house of the seer? Again, Prophet in those days was called a seer. So Saul asked Shmuel, Where is the house of the seer? And he probably had a good feeling that the guy he's talking to right now is Shmuel Avi. But being modest and not wanting to presume too much, instead of saying, "Are you the seer?" or "Are you the man of God?" he says, "Do you know where the house of the seer is?" And that's kind of natural. Sometimes you're looking for somebody, you're not sure if that's the person you want, and instead of saying, "Is that you?" you say, "Do you know so and so?" That's what Saul does here, and Shmuel answers him in verse 19. Vayan Shmuel et Shaul, and Samuel answered Saul. Vayomer and he said, "Anochi I am the seer." So Saul asked. Where is the house of the seer? And Shmuel answers, I am the seer. Now, believe it or not, Samuel was criticized for this. According to the rabbis, there was a little bit of arrogance in that, to say, I am the seer. He could have said, I'm the one, or it's me. But to say, I am the seer, there's a hint of haughtiness. Let's bring the words of the Midrash. The Redak brings this down. "Ki nechshal Shmuel made a mistake here. Amalokot And Hashem said to him, you think you're the seer? That you should say, I am the seer. Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to prove to you that you don't see. And when did that happen? Later on, when Samuel goes to Bethlehem to anoint the new king from the sons of Yeshai, he sees the firstborn Eliav, and he's sure that that's the one Hashem chose. So he's about to anoint Eliav, the oldest son of Yeshai, and Hashem tells Shmuel, no, that's not the one. You see, you don't see everything. Because you're looking at the exterior, and I look inside the person. It's not like a sin that he said, I am the seer. And it's not a punishment that later on he was wrong. It's more like a consequence, a measure for measure. You think you see everything? Well, you don't see everything. And on this whole issue of Shmuel saying, I am the seer, Rabbi Kahana writes like this, that even though Shmuel was simply answering Shul's question, when Shul asked, Is this the house of the seer? and he simply answered him and said, I am the seer. In any case, a leader has to be very, very careful. He has to be very careful that he has no trace at all of any kind of arrogance or pride. And the greater he is, He has to act small. That is, in proportion to his greatness, he has to conduct himself with the appropriate humility. And why is that? And the rabbi says, Because when it comes to authority and high position of power, that's a tremendous temptation to the person. And it's very easy when you're in high position to become entrapped in this characteristic of arrogance. And he always has to remember that Hashem is the seer, and not him. So again, by saying there was a hint of pride in that statement. He could have said, I am the seer. He could have used the word ani instead of sounds a little more egotistical. But obviously somebody like Shmuel Anavi, Hashem is precise with him. And his conduct is under the microscope. Anyway, we didn't finish the verse. Shmuel answers Shaul, I am the seer. And then he continues. Come before me to the big stage, to that big altar. And eat with me today. And I'll send you on your way tomorrow morning. And all that's in your heart and on your mind, I will tell you. What does Shmuel mean by saying, and everything that's on your mind, I will tell you. Well, according to the Dat it's not just the donkey Saul's interested in. Saul was concerned with the subjugation of the Jews under the hand of the Philistines. What's that all about? He wanted to know what's going on with the Ammonites, who are also starting to oppress the Jewish people, as we'll see later on. So Saul had his doubts and a lot of questions he wanted to pose to the prophet. And the prophet's saying, I'll tell you all about it later on. In the meantime, come with me to this feast that I've organized. And now pay attention to the next verse, verse 20, because here Shmuel is going to give a light hint that Saul has been chosen to be the next king of Israel. But listen how he says it. Verse 20. And about those donkeys, which you lost for the last three days you've been looking for them, don't worry about it. Forget all about it. They've been found. Just get that out of your mind. And then after calming him down about his donkeys, he says, Ulamiko Yisrael and to whom has all the desire of Israel turned? if not to you and your whole family line? And that right there, folks, is Shmuel suddenly telling Saul that he's been chosen as the next king of Israel. And that's what Rashi explains on the words Ulamiko Israel. And whom has all the desire of Israel turned? Rashi says, Kanbal Ramoslo. Here he hints to him the matter of the kingdom. And we know that so by Saul's reaction in the next verse. And notice how Shmuel says it very subtly. He doesn't hit him all at once and say, you're the next king of Israel. But he starts out by hinting it. Saul is well aware that the people are waiting for the next king. He knows that's out there. This whole Bakashat melech. Saul himself is probably curious to know who it's going to be. And right here, Samuel ever so subtly reveals to Saul that he's the one. What's Saul's reaction? And Saul answered and said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. That's one of the smallest tribes of Israel. And not only is my tribe small, but my family within that tribe is the least of all the families of Benjamin. Why have you spoken to me in this way? So again, by Saul's response here, we see that he got the hint. And he's basically saying, where does that come from? I'm from the smallest tribe, from the smallest family in the tribe. And what he's referring to is that his father, Kish, comes from Mishpachat Hamatri. Mishpachat Hamatri was not one of the big Benjamite families. So not only doesn't Saul belong to a big tribe, he belongs to the small tribe of Benjamin. His family is not that prestigious a family. And that's despite the fact that we opened up the chapter that St. Kish was a gibor chayel and he's from good stock. But obviously, it was not one of those prominent families of Benjamin. Now, coming from the tribe of Benjamin can really be a big disadvantage because Benjamin had to be a really small tribe. They had been wiped out in the book of Judges. There's a story in the book of Judges, the story of Pelegish Begiva, the concubine in the valley. And in that episode, the tribe of Benjamin gets totally wiped out. They almost become extinct, and it wasn't that long ago. If your tribe is small, that means a lot less people are going to be loyal to you. You have a smaller base to work with, and it's tougher to lead that way. Because in those days, tribal affiliation was a very strong sentiment, and there was a lot of ga'avah shevet, tribal pride. And when you go out to war, it's good to have as big a base as possible. For instance, if you look at the book of Judges, we see that if the judge was from a Particular tribe, let's say the tribe of Manasseh. Then the tribe of Manasseh followed him into war. There was no central army. So we see, let's say, the Judge Devorah, for instance, in her song in the book of Judges in chapter 5, she praises the tribes who showed up to the war and she criticizes the tribes who didn't show up, who stayed home. And who showed up? We see there the tribe of Naphtali. They came up big because Devorah was from the tribe of Naphtali. And she says in her song, the people of Zvulun risked their lives. So did Naphtali. So Zvulun and Naphtali, they showed up when Dvorah and Barak fought the Canaanites with uh, Sisera over there. On the other hand, she says in her song, and Dan, why did you linger? Asher remained on the coast. So we see in the war, the tribe of Dan lingered, the tribe of Asher remained on the coast. And so we see that everything went by tribe. So the point I'm making and the point Saul is making is that coming from a small tribe could be a big disadvantage if you want to be the king, since again, there's no centralized army. It went by tribes. If your tribe is tiny, that means you have less of a support group. We'll see that one of the first things that Saul is going to do as king is to set up a centralized army so they won't be so tribal. But in the meantime, Saul is simply saying, I come from a tiny tribe from a family that's not very prominent in Benjamin. So why me? Okay, so let's go back to our verses here. Notice that each one is hinting to one another. Shmuel doesn't actually say to Saul, you're going to be the next king. He says, Yisrael, to whom has all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your family. He's not telling Saul point blank that he's going to be the next king. He's hinting it. And Saul gets the hint and he hints back, but I'm a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel. So each one is talking to each other in very subtle terms. And now we continue in our verses. Remember, Shmuel has set up this whole banquet for Saul. And now he's going to kind of lead him through it in order to make this thing public. And so it says in verse 22, And Shmuel took Saul and his servant, And he brought them into his chamber. That is Shmuel and Navi had a small chamber or a small room right near that bama, right near that big altar. And then he takes them out to the ceremony. And he gave them a place at the head of the table with all the invited guests. All the honorees are there. The important people of Am Yisrael are there. And there were about 30 men there. So Shmuel invited 30 men, obviously people of import and influence in Am Yisrael. And he's placing Saul and a servant at the dais, the head table, in the most important spot there. That's what Rashi says. He says, from the manner of the seating arrangements there, it was apparent in which place the most important person sat. So Saul is there at the head of the dais, guest of honor. The prophet Samuel has set this whole thing up. And it's kind of funny that the nar, the servant of Saul, he's also sitting there at the head of the dais. It says, Saul and his servant. So the servant, he's enjoying the ride. And Rabbi Kahana writes about that, that the servant, that the servant was probably just a simple Jew, nothing special. Zachal is shevet barosh. He merited to sit at the head table. Why? Because he was the servant of Saul. So if you hang out with good people, even if you're not so special yourself, just being around that good person, well, good things are going to happen to you, like it's happening here to the nar, to this servant. So, like we said, this whole thing has been set up for Saul. He's the final guest to arrive. Now that he's arrived, the party can begin. Verse twenty three. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring me that piece of meat that I gave you. You know, the piece that I told you to put it on the side. That choice portion is going to be for Saul over here. Verse 24, And the cook, he raised up the shok, which was the thigh. That's a choice part of the animal. And he placed it before Saul. And Shmuel said, Hineha Nishar. This is what has been reserved for you. See, Nishar sometimes means leftovers. But here, Nishar, we don't mean that it was left over. Here it means that this Nishar, this thing was left for you because it was reserved special for you. That's what we're saying to Saul. This special piece of meat has been reserved just for you. Simlifanecha. Place it before you. Echol and eat it. Kilo Because this was set aside for you for this special occasion here. Haam Karati. I set it aside for this occasion from the time I invited the guests, and it says Haam Karati. We're not talking about regular people. Karate. He invited important people here. Am means nation. It doesn't mean he called the nation, but he called the important people of the nation for this very special occasion. And then it says at the end of the verse, and Saul ate with Shmuel on that day. So what's going on here? What's all this thing with the food sitting at the head of the dais? Everything with Jews is centered on food. We know that. Well, what Shmuel is doing throughout all this is trying to make Saul feel important. He's trying to get Saul used to this. Saul is modest and he's humble. And that's a good thing. That's why he was chosen. But he also thinks small. And Shmuel's trying to get Saul to think big. So he brings him to the head of the table. You're an important person. Gives him a choice piece of meat. And there's a whole machlokit in the Gomorrah, what piece he gave him. The thigh is that portion of the priest, which shows us that he's getting the choice cut, which is given to the most esteemed guests. All this is to get Saul used to being somebody important. All these moves of sitting at the head of the table, getting the choicest cuts of meat, that's to get Saul out of his bubble. Listen, you're Mechubad now. You're an important esteemed person. You're going to be the next king of Israel. Get used to it. That's why right before hinting to Saul that he's going to be the next king of Israel, he says the donkeys have been found, right? He's telling him, forget about the donkeys. You have to start thinking outside your provincial bubble. You're going to have to start spreading horizons beyond donkeys. And that's basically the job of Shmuel from here on in. It's to take Saul, who has all the raw materials, and to mold him into being the king of Israel. And the training starts right here at the ceremony. Saul has all the physical traits and all the character attributes that make him worthy of being a king. And now it's Shmuel's job to take that potential and that raw material And make it work so Saul could be a successful king. And so Shmuel from here on really is taking Saul under his wing. And he has a tremendous amount of affection for Saul, as we're going to see going forward. And this shows us something about Shmuel. You know, in the last chapter, when the people asked for a king, Shmuel is pretty upset. And he seemed to take it personally because, like, they're rejecting me. They don't want me. They want somebody else. But we see it wasn't personal. Because if it was personal, he wouldn't be so close to Saul, his successor. So if Shmuel had some personal motivations for not wanting this transfer of leadership from him to somebody else, he wouldn't have been so gracious to Saul. It shows that Shmuel is totally Shem Shamayim. Saul to him is going to be like a son. The connection he has to Saul, he'll never have with King David. Saul is his guy, and we're going to see it all the way through that when Saul sins, Shmuel is going to take it really hard. Saul is Shmuel's project from here on in, and everything he does now in the later chapters is to train Saul, to educate him, to prepare him to be a successful king in Israel. And a big part of that is teaching Saul, who's a humble man, to think big. Because if you think big, then you'll play big. Okay, verse 25. And they came down from the high place and went to the city. After the big ceremony with the 30 distinguished guests, they departed from there. And then, and Shmuel spoke to Saul on the gag, on the roof. So Shmuel takes Saul to his home. And it says they're on the roof. And in those days, they had these flat roofs. And the pshat is, Shmuel wants to be alone with Saul. So they go to an isolated place on the top of the roof of his house. But by the verse saying they went on the roof, kind of reminds us when the prophet Echia Shiloni was in the fields with Yerovah ben Avat. This is going to happen in the book of Kings. Echia Shiloni, also a profound prophet, he takes Yerovah ben Avat, the future king, and they're in the fields. And the rabbis teach us they were learning secrets of Torah, that's what the field comes to represent. And this too, they're on the roof, which means they're up all night learning secrets of Torah. And Rashi says on this verse that they went on the roof, to teach him how to fear the Almighty. So there's some serious learning going on over there, just like with the ben Benavat, they're delving into the depths of Torah. That's how Shmuel prepares Saul for the task that lays ahead. Okay, let's go on to verse 26. Vayishkimu and it was that at dawn, and they arose at daybreak, like we said, they probably learned all night, and now they arise at dawn. And Samuel called Saul to the roof again, Lamor, saying, Kuma, arise, or get ready, and I'm going to send you on your way. So Saul arose, he got ready. And he and Shmuel went outside together. So they're walking together, Saul and Shmuel. And now in the final verse of the chapter, verse 27, And as they were going down to the edge of town, Shmuel said to Saul, Tell your servant to go ahead of us. Remember the servant? Well, he's still there tagging along. And Shmuel says to Saul, Tell your servant to go ahead and pass us, because I got to speak to you in private now. So the servant passed them. And now Shmuel says to Saul, V'ata amod and now you stand right here, Vashmiecha, et Elokim, so that I may give you a message from God. And that's how we end the chapter. And the next chapter, in the very first verse, Shmuel is going to anoint Saul as king of Israel. So stay tuned.